the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And he's here to say good afternoon. Welcome. Good to have you with us. 15th day of August. Is this considered the Ides of August? <laughs> five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. on your uh, your basic Tuesday. And uh, welcome on and good to have you with us for another edition of Lifeline. Lots on the agenda tonight. A little bit later on in the first hour, we're going to continue to unravel the battle for parental rights that is being waged not only, of course, here in California, but in many parts of the nation. We'll have updates for you from Jonathan Keller, president of the California Family Council, along with our good buddy Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute. If you're a parent or we're a parent or a current. Well, I guess you're always a parent if you've been a parent, right? Um, this is an issue that impacts you. You want to stay tuned and find out what's going on and how you can be involved in, correct, in protecting your rights as a parent. All right. There was an article that caught my attention yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. They have um, worked some numbers related to homelessness across the country. And if you're the observant type, you've probably taken notice that here in the San Francisco Bay Area in particular, though this seems to be a national trend, there seems to be an uptick in the presence of homeless. Not that over the last four or five years, certainly leading up into the pandemic, that we weren't seeing um, an increase in the presence of folks that were unhoused outside of sort of the major metropolitan hubs, meaning downtown San Francisco, downtown San Jose, downtown Oakland, but now more so into the suburbs. But this new report that looks at trends across the country post-COVID um, has really pulled back the cover on an alarming trend that we've seen just year over year. So from 2022 into 2023, an 11% jump. And in some parts of the country, that's nationally, some parts of the country, the increase has been three times that amount. Denver, for example, seeing a year-over-year -year increase of 32%. Wow. To what do we attribute all of this? But more broadly, if the cities aren't doing enough to try to address the problem, what should we as the church be doing? Well, to offer some insights now, we turn to Bram Begonia. He, of course, is the president and CEO of the Bay Area Rescue Mission. And Bram, always good to have you on the program. 
Greg, it's great to be with you again. And as always, uh, anytime we can be on the station and shed light on the crisis facing our community, it is our pleasure uh, to share what's going on and the good news as we meet the needs of our community. Before we unpack this very um, important topic, Bram, a quick question. Uh, many of our listeners are perhaps aware that uh, you call Hawaii home. Um, any impact to your family in terms of the tragic events that we've seen unfolding the last week there on the island of Maui? Hey, Craig, thanks for asking. And uh, thankfully, uh, all of our family and friends who are in Maui, and I graduated from Baldwin High School on Maui, and my my parents were pastors on Maui for eight years. Uh, they were in charge of Maui, Molokai, and I, all of our friends and family thus far that we know of are safe. However, the church that um, was a part of the churches that my father was over in Lahaina has burned down and the pastor's house has burned down. But thankfully, all the uh, people uh, so far have been safe and uninjured. So uh, praise God for that. This must be nerve-wracking and and heartbreaking for you to watch these reports roll in. I know the other day uh, I found somebody that had posted drone video that basically starts at one point of of the the furthest tip of Lahaina and moves all the way along the coast to the farthest end. And it's just heartbreaking, Bram, to see block after block after block after block of, of just complete, utter devastation. And, of course, here in California, we're not strangers to any of this. But to see such a concentration and, and particularly the contrast, because every once in a while you would see the camera as it was sort of, you know, circumnavigating its way down the coast would catch a glimpse of just ocean and that beautiful Pacific blue waters and then suddenly switch back in inland and to see nothing but gray and it's so terribly tragic and sad to see uh, not only the damage to um, the, the natural beauty of that island but such horrific loss of life so our, our we're encouraged to know that nobody in your direct family was impacted and I think this is a good time for all of us to be mindful to be praying for uh, the people of Maui because they've got a long road of recovery ahead no doubt yeah, Craig, and uh, the people of Maui are strong, and that banyan tree, that's a, they're a massive banyan tree that is in Lahaina, and that was, uh, you know, the, the trunk and the branches and all of that was burned, of course, in this fire, but the roots are still there, and ex- experts are saying that that tree will come back stronger than ever, and I think that represents uh, what the people of Maui are going to be like. I mean, their damage, that side of the island is damaged for sure. It's really a historic area where everyone loves going. And the rest of the island is coming together with, uh, you know, other islands of, of uh, Hawaii. And, of course, the mainland that's helping out. And everyone's going to come together, uh, rebuild just like we did after Hurricane Iniki in 1992, come back stronger. And uh, the Lord is going to bless um everyone coming together and working together to make sure that one line is taken care of. And a, a new phrase gets added to the lexicon of Lahaina Strong. So uh, we we certainly join you in, in praying for recovery of the island and uh, so many that uh, are grappling with a, a very long and undoubtedly 
rough road ahead. That's an interesting segue because talking about a long and rough road ahead, that certainly is what many people that find themselves in a homeless situation today are facing. And this new report that I referred to, Bram, it, it certainly was an eye-opener uh, that we would expect to see an uptick in the number of homeless people post-COVID, probably no surprise. I have to wonder from your perspective, that massive jump, nearly 11% year over year, how much of that is perhaps directly attributable to the fact that now that many of the eviction um, restrictions are beginning to ease, uh, that people are suddenly finding themselves with notices tacked on the front door by the landlord, three days pay or quit. Is a lot of that in the current housing crunch that we face here in the San Francisco Bay Area part of this problem? It's not only part of the problem, it is the major uh, factor. There, there have been many studies, the study by UCSF, the study that you're referring to. There's a Public Policy Institute of California who published a study as well. And all of these studies show that the number, the, the largest uh, contributing factor to homelessness right now in the state of California is uh, the cost of housing. And that is concerning because we spend a lot of time here at the Bay Area Rescue Mission, a lot of resources helping people get off drugs, get off of alcohol, any other influences that may have caused them to make, uh, you know, to, to go down that diet, that down spiral. And with all that effort and connecting them to a Bible-believing church and, you know, getting their mind, body, and spirit right, once that all happens, uh, our good problem right now is we have a backlog of people graduating from our life transformation pro- program. And once that happens, uh, that's the great news. Their lives have been transformed. Their mind, body, and spirit is ready. They're ready to go back, be contributing members of society and get their relationships right and they have no place to go that they can afford or that landlords want in their home to rent from them, especially if they have 10 people to choose from, uh, they're, they're not going to the top of the list. And so that, that is the issue. And we can't uh, do all this work and then have no place for people to go. So uh, that really is one of the biggest issues uh, that's taking place in California. And to put it into perspective, Craig, uh, the overall the California's overall homeless population has increased about 6% compared to the rest of the country, which is just about 0.4%. So it's increasing at a rapid rate. I think right now the stat is 171,000 in the entire state of California, which is just a huge number. So, and that's current numbers. And I, I want the listeners to know these are numbers that several organizations, including the Bay Area Rescue Mission, work together with our counties, all of the counties, to do these point-in-time counts. It's, it's an actual real survey, just like when the census happens, and we're counting people. And that's only if you want to be counted. <laughs> so everyone knows, if you're in this uh, industry, that the point-in-time count that all these surveys come from are very understated, meaning it could be two times or three times more than what the count is, because if you're not out there, or if you're in a tent and you you don't want to come out and be counted on that day or you're uh, couch surfing or you're in a car and you're not counted, then you're not counted. And so these numbers, as uh, huge as they seem, are still uh, an understatement of the real issue. Boy, that's a sober.
sobering thought. So what you're essentially suggesting here is that because oftentimes it's, you know, when when people are living a nomadic life, trying to gain an accurate count is difficult. It's not as easy as saying, here's an apartment building, go door by door, knock on the door and take a survey. And when you've um, exhausted the number of doors, now total up the number of individuals that you've counted and, and there's the pop count. This is different because so often, as you say, uh, people are reticent to be counted. They're in places where it's difficult to count them. So what it really comes down to is that the severity of the homeless problem, not just in California, but nationwide, is worse than we thought, even with due diligence being done by organizations that are trying to come up with accurate counts. And and undoubtedly, when an organization, a journalistic company like Wall Street Journal comes forward and says, oh, yeah, it's worse than we've all thought it was. This is really a cause for us to take up, wake up and take notice. And, you know, the thing that that comes to mind Bram, as you talk about the work of the Bay Area Rescue Mission in helping people that are dealing with issues related to substance abuse and a lack of a job and the need for a heart change and a mindset change. And certainly the Bay Area Rescue Mission has a track record going all the way back to 1965 of successfully doing just that, turning about lives, changing hearts, changing minds, giving people a new lease on life. The one challenge, though, that remains, and maybe this is one of the biggest hurdles that is facing our society today, and that is, how do you go about having a wallet change? How do you you revolutionize? You You can change their heart, change their thinking through the power of the gospel. You can give them new skills, but how do you give them a new wallet to be able to afford the cost that it is just to survive in the Bay Area? Yeah, and we are we are seeing great success in our vocational training programs. We had a young lady who graduated top five in our program, graduated top five. Her name, her name is Michelle, and she got a uh, a union job because she graduated top five from Richmond Build and was placed directly into the union. So she now has a a living wage. But it takes time to save up for the down payment, to save up for first and last month's rent. And so it really is that time factor uh, that our students who graduate and our alumni need to really turn their lives around. So we have the programs in place, but it's the time that matters. And because we're such a safe place, we have amazing staff with lived experience and and it's a really nurturing community. A lot of our uh, alumni uh, or graduates of our program, we'd call them, uh, don't want to leave. But that's not the goal of our program. You, we can't have everyone come to the Bay Area, Area Rescue Mission and never leave the Bay Area Rescue Mission, right? The real program starts when you leave our doors. That's how we know that you're a true success. You're able to cope with the things that you could not cope with before and make the, the right decisions that you didn't make before because you have the tools now. Um, and you're in your right mind. You're thinking and you're also understanding what the spiritual ramifications are. So um, all these things are, it's a multifaceted approach. Approach. It's not just one thing, but the tools are there and the, the relationships are there and the partnerships are there for us to get uh, our people the jobs that they need, the income that they need. It's really the housing and the cost of housing and giving our graduates an opportunity to be in a sober living environment, a halfway house for three years, for 36 months as they save up money, get their lives together, get their kids back and then and then move on from that onto the next step. So the Bay Area Rescue Mission is actually opening sober 
sober living environment so that we can place graduates into these homes. And the best thing about that is it's still a Christian environment. Uh, it's a, a less strict um, program because you're now out of the program, you're a graduate, and you're still held accountable, you're still going to your Celebrate Recovery, your AA meetings, and so forth, but you're now really having to live life on life's terms, as Pastor David would say, and uh, check in with the the house manager to make sure that you're still going about your business and making sure you're heading on your positive path forward. If you've just joined the conversation, we are taking a look at a recent survey, a study that's been released in yesterday's Wall Street Journal that finds a significant uptick in the population of homeless people in the United States year over year, nationwide, an 11% increase. And some communities have seen double, triple that number. Brian Begonia with us, president and CEO of the Bay Area Rescue Mission. By the way, if you'd like to get more information about what this wonderful ministry is doing to impact lives right here at home in the San Francisco Bay Area, we invite you to check them out online by going to bayarearescue.org. That's bayarearescue.org. As our conversation with Bram Begonia continues, if the cities are not doing enough, and that seems to be sort of a universal observation, then it begs the question, what should we be doing? That, as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Yesterday's Wall Street Journal reporting an 11% nationwide uptick in homeless from coast to coast. And um, that by far is one of the biggest we've seen since the government began tracking these numbers back in 2007. Some communities, two to three times that amount. And clearly, if you're a Bay Area resident, you know that the problem is here. It is obvious. For many, it is frustrating. The question is is if we're of the opinion that the cities are not doing enough, and many feel that way, then what about us? What can and should we be doing? And, and perhaps is the private sector better equipped? We turn to Bram Begonia for some insights. He, of course, is the president and CEO of the Bay Area Rescue Mission. And Bram, I realize that sounds like a bit of a setup question, but it is intentionally simply because we've seen the track record of secular programs that, while perhaps better than time in jail, nevertheless have an alarmingly high rate of recidivism, meaning people that go through a program, be it uh, six months, 12 months, 18 months, return then back into the community and find themselves unable to cope, ill-equipped, and either back on drugs again or back on the streets again. What makes the Bay Area Rescue Mission unique, of course, is that you literally turn that rate of recidivism on its head, just the opposite of many um, secular programs in terms of degrees of success. And I would suspect that in reality, the real, um, how should we say, secret sauce, as they say in the commercials, really has to do with the entire approach of ministering to the needs of the whole person, uh, both in terms of physical needs as well as those of mind and spirit. Yeah, it really is a multifaceted approach. It has to be mind, body, and spirit. You can't treat one without the other. And, you know, I, I'm just thinking as, as you're talking, it's, it's, it's a beautiful summer right now. Today was a beautiful day. And normally in our 
shelters, especially our emergency shelters, and we have emergency shelters for men, women, and children, then we have our year-long life transformation program. Uh, normally, the emergency shelters, this is a down season for us in the summer. So normally when it's hot and weather is beautiful, people are stay in the car longer or underneath the uh, encampments or in their tents because the weather's nice. Well, that's not the case, Craig. Those numbers are real. The increase is real. And there, our shelters are close to capacity now in the summer. That means when we head into the winter months, we will be overwhelmed. And so what we, you're talking about what listeners can do to help. I, I would say this, and it's not just the Bay Area Rescue Mission, but the programs that are working, if people could support them, especially ones that are receiving government funds, because if we don't have the capacity or the funds to expand and continue to grow to meet the needs of our community, then we're going to have to turn people away when they need us the most. And that's the worst thing that we can do is turn people away. And it's not because we want to. It's because we are mandated by county. We're only allowed a certain amount of slots. And once we hit that number, we cannot, even though we're not uh, accepting funding from the government, we cannot go over that due to health codes. So um, you know the story of one of our wonderful ladies in our program who's a graduate and an amazing success story. Um, A policeman came and knocked on her car door and said, ma'am, you cannot be in this car with your your four-year-old daughter. You, we will not allow you to be out here anymore. You need to find a place for you and your daughter to be. And they came to the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Um, she was welcomed. Thank goodness we had a space for her at that time. And years later, she's successful. Her daughter's doing great. And her life has been completely transformed. And now she uh, calls donors for us and makes sure that they know that her life was transformed. So it really is making sure that we have space when people are at their uh, lowest point and they're saying I'm fed up I, I can't have my kids out here anymore we have to have a space for them and be uh, ready to take them in that's why we're here that's what our mission is and we have to be able to do that and as you point out Bram this is so multifaceted because it's not only addressing matters of the heart matters of the mind giving people life skills training an opportunity at completing an education if perhaps they've skipped out of school never received a GED or uh, perhaps never completed any college education. So it's one thing to equip them with the skills. Certainly government needs to be doing more in terms of providing affordable housing. But because the secret sauce with the Bay Area Rescue Mission, with a track record that goes back, my goodness, coming up almost on 60 years now, um, has really been the power of the gospel. This is where we can and should be making a difference. If you get that sense of frustration as you're at the stoplight to make your turn and you see a person walking with a cardboard sign, hungry, need help, things of that sort, and you've said to yourself, um, perhaps somebody ought to do something, maybe it's time to lean over slightly to the rearview mirror and take a look at the person staring at you and ask yourself whether or not you're now looking at the person who needs to do something. If the conclusion is that you're not doing enough, here's an opportunity to do something more in standing in partnership with the Bay Area Rescue Mission. If you go online today to bayarearescue.org, you'll be able to read stories about people that have gone through the program and have come out on the other side and are now 
happy, healthy, successfully contributing to not only society in general becoming good citizens, but they're becoming better fathers, better mothers, better children. And most importantly, they're getting off of that treadmill, that uh, that continuous uh, cycle of homelessness, drug abuse, and things of this sort, and really able to find stability in some cases for the first time in their life. This is the kind of poignant difference the Bay Area Rescue Mission is making. You can and should be a part of that. So instead of just complaining about what's going on, we can become answers to the problem. Information, again, available online about the program, how you can get behind it, how you can support, how you can volunteer. Simply go to bayarearescue.org. That's bayarearescue.org. Our thanks to Bram Begonia, President and CEO of the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Bram, I know we caught you kind of on on late notice here today, but I appreciate you carving some time out to uh, shed some light into these numbers and help us better understand not only what's going on, but most importantly, how all of us can shoulder together to make a difference. Thank you so much, Bram, for your time. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for having us. And I want to encourage our listeners to know that hope is still there. Jesus is still the answer today, yesterday, and tomorrow, and he is still transforming lives and performing miracles at the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Thank you so much, Craig. All right. Thank you, my friend. Take care now. There's Bram Begonia with the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Information, again, available on the web at bayarearescue.org. 5.33 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Well, I promised you at the start of the program we were going to be pulling back the curtain on issues related to parental rights. And ever increasingly, it's seeming as if California is ground zero. Certainly not exclusive to a threat toward parental rights, but um, we seem to be sort of uh, perfecting the notion that the state knows better than the parents do and... um, that's something that, of course, we just can't take lying down. Joining me now with some insights as to what's going on now that our members uh, are heading back to Sacramento is Jonathan Keller, president of the California Family Council. Jonathan, it's always great to have you with us today. It just, it, it, and I know I've probably said this to you as well on the air in the past, but it never ceases to amaze me how... Parents will be on the hook for every aspect of what their child does, misbehavior, they want to find the parents, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And yet there is zero accountability shown back toward the parents in terms of their rights as a parent to raise their child in the fashion that they feel most important. And the state seems to feel as if now suddenly they know more about it than the parents do. And if what's being taught to the kids runs contrarian to the traditional values that a parent might be um, utilizing in their own household, oh, well, that's your problem. That seems to be the attitude of the state here today. That's absolutely right, Craig. And first off, thanks. It's always good to be with you and your listeners. Uh, Craig, I don't know if you remember this, but about 10 years ago on MSNBC, there was a commercial. It wasn't even a full program. It was just an advertisement for a TV show with Melissa Harris Perry, one of their very liberal commentators. And it was a 30-second commercial, but I thought this little commercial, the promo for her show, captured better the left real ideology about parents and children. And she essentially said in this clip, you can go find it on YouTube if you just look up Melissa Harris Perry and parents. She said, the problem we've had in our country is that we 
have this private view of children and we think that children belong to their parents when in reality they belong not to their parents but they belong to the community and that's why we need to change the model of education funding and social services and everything like that and craig i think that is exactly what we're seeing happen now that was a prophetic statement from an msnbc host but every day in sacramento we are seeing legislators take that to heart they really believe that you are not the most important thing in your child's life i mean sure it's great if uh, parents are involved it's great if moms and dads care about their kids and i'm sure they do but the most important thing is these children having their own rights and if that if the state decides that the child's rights or what the state wants children to be able to do flies in the face of the parents then sorry too bad so sad uh, we'll take it from here and i think that's exactly what you're seeing governor newsom and the other people in sacramento trying to do um, I know that this may shock the sensibilities of a few listeners, but uh, <laughs> it won't be the first time I've accused of that. That that phraseology that you just shared from that commercial um, seems to be eerily reminiscent, for those of you that study history, um, of beliefs and sayings put forward by the NSDAP. And if you say NSDA, why that rings a bell, Craig? What exactly is that again? Oh, the NSDAP? Yeah, I'll answer the question for for you. In English, it's the National Socialist German Workers' Party, better known by its shorthand acronym Nazi Party. And that idea that somehow children belong to the community is just another fashion of saying they belong to the state. They belong to everybody and anybody, apparently, except their parents that are charged with the responsibility of not only bringing them into this world, but guiding them, counseling them, leading them, preparing them to become effective productive, responsible adults and perhaps someday parents themselves. And the notion that somehow the state, all-knowing, all-seeing, can do a better job than the parents can, it's pretty alarming, Jonathan. It really is. Oh, absolutely. And sadly, I think what we're seeing is, again, with a lot of these laws that are coming, they are really treating parents like the, if not the enemy, at, at minimum, they're treating them like just a, uh, a handy accessory that can maybe provide child care. Uh, but in some cases, they're treating them as obstacles or enemies. And specifically, Craig, I was at the Capitol in Sacramento yesterday. We had a great group of men and women from across the state that came out. We were joined primarily, if you look at the front page photo of the Sacramento Bee or one of the stories at the L.A. Times, a very brave school board member, Sonia Shaw from Chino Valley Unified School District, was leading the charge at our hearings and at our uh, meetings yesterday. And essentially, the reason that she has become so popular and such a lightning rod, the, the Secretary of Education for California, Tony Thurman, came to her little school board meeting a few weeks ago because she and that school board passed a policy it was so radical, Craig. Let me tell you what it said. It said that if a child begins identifying as a gender other than their biological sex, parents had to be notified. It didn't say that the parents had to be told the second that the child said something. It even just said within the first 72 hours. Parents wouldn't even be the first to know. This policy just said they shouldn't be the last to know with something happening with their kids. And apparently 
for people like uh, Secretary of Education Tony Thurmond or State Superintendent or Gavin Newsom or all these other people, they think that that is somehow a bridge too far, that parents would just be notified about what's happening in the classrooms with their own children. You know, what's troubling about that is that is a presupposition there that the parents are going to be cruel and abusive um, and are going to, I don't know, whip their kids with an inch of their life if they if they think in a fashion or behave in a fashion that the parents don't approve with. Now, we all know that there are bad parents out there, but I think the vast majority of most parents out there really care about their kids. They sacrifice for their kids. They want their kids to have better opportunities in life than perhaps they had themselves growing up. Um, yeah, we all know of bad parents, but we also know of fantastic parents. And to suddenly paint every single parent out there with the same brush that suggests you're, you're suspect and the state somehow um, needs to protect children from their own parents, that's that's pretty alarming. It really is. It absolutely is. And Craig, in addition to trying to push back against this very sensible school board policy, we are seeing a whole raft of policies coming out of Sacramento this year that would push even further. And that's why we are actually hosting, alongside our friend Pastor Jack Hibbs and a, a large group of parents from across the state we are hosting a lobby day in Sacramento on the steps of the Capitol next Monday, August 21st, uh, 9 a.m. We will have a uh, lobby day training. 11 a.m. we'll have a rally, and then 1 p.m. we'll have a second training. And that is open to the public. We would love any of you to come. If you go to our website, CaliforniaFamily.org, click on the link at the top of the page, and you are able to sign up for that and come join us in person. Make your voice heard. And let Sacramento know that as a parent, enough is enough. You don't want them to continue threatening parental rights. Many of our listeners, of course, are familiar with the ministry of Jack Hibbs uh, down at, uh, I think it's Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, if memory serves me right. And so I'm delighted yes, that he's going to be in town to to help spearhead this event again at the state capitol. That's next Monday, August 21st at 11 a.m. I'm wondering, Jonathan, are we fast approaching a time when we might even at the state level and perhaps more ideally even at the federal level need to craft sort of a, what should we call it, a parental bill of rights that will protect parental rights across the country? Yes, I think that is absolutely where we are at. Um, I wish that it was not the case. You know, part of the reason why some of the founders opposed even adding the original bill to the Constitution was because they thought many of these things were so common sense they wondered, why do we even need to put this in writing? Who could possibly disagree with these issues? And to a certain degree, I think that's why we've never had a parental bill of rights before. Up till now, all parents agreed, all sane individuals acknowledged that parents were the primary protectors, the primary caregivers for their own children. But sadly, Craig, I, I think when common sense is no longer common, it is something where we do have to look at what legal steps, what procedural steps need to be taken to secure and protect 
the rights of moms and dads. Yeah, undoubtedly so, because every time we turn around, it seems as if there is some municipality or, in this case, a school district that is threatening a parent's rights. And the best interests of the kids are, are, are becoming political pawns here in, in this chess game of, you know, who's going to win, righteousness or, you know, a chapter out of, uh, uh, you know, George Orwell's 1984. It's, it's pretty frightening. Well, good place to start is for your voice to be heard. If you've got some time, summer is still upon us. Maybe you can uh, join in at the Capitol next Monday, August 21st, 11 a.m., a rally there at the Capitol Steps to um, encourage parental rights, and uh, that's going to be sponsored by our friends at the California Family Council, along with Jack Hibbs, Pastor Jack Hibbs from Chino Hills Calvary Chapel. Information available on the web at californiafamily.org. That's californiafamily.org. Our thanks to Jonathan Keller, President of the California Family Council, for that update. 548 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, I promised you at the start of the show we'd be spending some time focusing on parental rights and how we can be protecting our kids. And uh, sadly, there's enough going on in the news that uh, we need to do so. Let's talk about what's at hand in relationship to... And you've heard you've heard this phraseology, as I interrupt myself, you've heard this phraseology about book bannings, right? And, uh, oh, my, we're, my goodness, we're becoming just like the Third Reich. They want to burn books. Nobody is advocating for that. But there are certain books that are not age-appropriate that children of a lower, younger age that are too immature to be able to comprehend or process should not be reading. Nobody is suggesting that we shut down printing presses. But what is being suggested is that kids should be protected from sexually explicit books, particularly at school libraries. Well, of course, an increasing number of cases across the country, that's not happening. But what is happening is those parents or school board members that are questioning the presence of this content in public schools and the availability before young eyes, they are now having to defend the position that they're taking in defending kids. What a world. Brad Dacus joins us now, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. And it really is shameful, Counselor. Thank you, by the way, for joining us. It's really shameful when people who are trying to simply protect kids are now being called on the carpet, in some cases even losing their jobs or facing recalls if they're a seated member of a school board simply because they're trying to do what's right for our kids. It's unbelievable. Uh, it is unbelievable, and what even makes it even more unbelievable, Craig, is the fact that this isn't just happening in San Francisco Bay Area uh, or in New York. Uh, this is also happening in very uh, conservative communities like McKinney, Texas, just north of Dallas, Texas. Um, it's a, a very nice community, conservative community, and yet uh, when one of the board members of that school district, the McKinney School District, spoke up about obscene sexually explicit materials in the school library uh, instead of the other board members saying thank you for bringing this to our attention uh, they brought an action against him to censor him and to silence him uh, and they even brought an action against him for testifying before the state legislature on this issue even though he made it very clear he was never representing the school district and reporting to the Texas Ethics Commission 
uh, to try to take him out. Well, we at Pacific Justice Institute, and through our attorney there in our Texas office, Emily Cook, uh, went to bat for him. And to make a long story short, we prevailed on all fronts uh, and vindicated him. And hopefully we'll send a message to the parents of McKinney. Uh, now's the time to uh, re-examine your school board members this next election. What, what is it about the phrase age appropriate that seems to frighten some people that they, they translate that into a book banning or book burning, things of this sort? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, everyone knows that, uh, you know, what, what may be right for a 50-year-old may not be right for a 5-year-old. Uh, this is common knowledge, and uh, and yet uh, this is a, the, the cheap attempt that the opposition tries to, to pull uh, to try to indoctrinate children. It's not about educate. When you get to a certain, as you get younger and younger and more uh, age-inappropriate, uh, education quickly becomes indoctrination impacting the way they think and process and see things potentially for the rest of their lives. Uh, that's why parents need to stand up, and we at Pacific Justice Institute have a, a whole book they can download for free called Reclaim Your School with all kinds of things in it that parents can do uh, to take back their school. You know, when I was in third grade, I was a new believer, and I maybe you'll know this, but I petitioned my elementary school library, Sumner Elementary, to have a Bible because they didn't have a Bible. I got a Bible in that elementary school. And if a third grader can make impact like that, I, of course, got a little carried away and became a lawyer later on. But, um, but if a third grader can do that, adults, parents, uh, school board members, you know, teachers can have a positive impact on their school districts. So you're, you're, you're telling me you come by this sense of advocacy uh, quite honestly and going back a long time. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yes. Yes. I love it. Yeah. You know, there's another issue I want to have you speak to just briefly, if you would, Counselor, and that is this, that we so often encourage people, get involved, get engaged, don't sit back and watch and complain, make a difference. Uh, If you're not pleased with the way your town is being run, run for city council. If you're concerned about the manner in which the school board is handling things, run for school board. And then we hear stories like this where somebody did do just that. They ran for school board. They got on the board. They're doing what they feel is their responsibility to protect children from um, content that is not age appropriate and suddenly they have a target pasted on them that's tr- that's problematic it's troubling it, it is it's very troubling uh, and there's greater greater actions of intimidation uh, but make no mistake you know we at Pacific Justice we just uh, we've just opened some new offices and we have offices coast to coast all over the country. We're willing to go to bat without charge for any parent on any school board uh, needing our assistance. And we have attorneys with specific expertise in this area. So they should never hesitate to contact us at or pacificjustice.org. All right. In fact, uh, Brad's going to be with us later on in the week to uh, to discuss a great example of how um, your involvement can make a difference and the great work that's being done by the Pacific Justice Institute because, quite frankly, of your support. Information available on the web at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. And our thanks to Brad Dacus constitutional lawyer and founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute for that update. Boy, battles enjoined, folks. We just have to get out there and be willing to uh, to fight it and um, work hard for the victory. Six o'clock from KFAX. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.